Hey, hey, beautiful people. Welcome back to the Impact Code, where we take deep dives into the stories and journeys of impact in the lives of our guests. We've got a good one for you today, as we always do. Today's guest is none other than Justin Skinner. Justin is an author, Justin is a speaker, and I first heard Justin speaking at a convention that was put on by one of our vendors here at Tower Community Bank uh, called Invo Solutions. And Justin was speaking at the Invo Solutions Summit. He was speaking on this concept called professional failure. And it really intrigued me. And we met after he spoke and things just clicked. I knew I had to have him on the podcast. So I found out while we were talking that Justin and I actually have quite a bit in common. Both of us uh, grew up in the Midwest. Both of us grew up on small farms in the Midwest. And I thought that was pretty cool. So let me tell you a little bit about Justin. He grew up in Springfield, Missouri on a dairy farm just north of the city limits. He's the oldest of four children. As I mentioned earlier, he is an author. He's a speaker. He's a podcaster. His book is called Professional Failure. Uh, He is married to Kendra Joy Skinner. They live in Springfield. They love to spend time with family and enjoy playing all types of board games, pickleball. And Justin was a phenomenal athlete as well. Justin played collegiate baseball and is actually inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. And soon after college and actually after getting fired from his job, him and his wife Kendra started their own business. So now and since that time, they have been investing in real estate and running short-term rentals. And that is still what they're doing today. It was such a gift to talk to Justin. He had so much to share about failure and overcoming failure We cover such a broad range of topics in this episode. I'm just excited for you to dive in and listen. But before we do that, I want to take a quick moment and talk to you about Tower Community Bank because Tower Community Bank actually brought you today's episode completely free of charge. I work for Tower and we put on this podcast because we care about the communities that we live in, that we work in, and that we raise our families in. And we see this as a way to give back to those communities. We see this as a way to connect with those communities and to elevate the stories of impact within those communities. So be sure to check out Tower Community Bank. You can find them online at towercommunitybank.com. You don't have an excuse not to. Show some love to Tower as a thank you for giving you this episode for free, especially if you enjoy it. Go to towercommunitybank.com today. I'm so excited about this conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, the great and wonderful Justin Skinner. Justin, let's start right at the beginning. I I first met you at this company called Invo's uh, sort of annual summit that they do where they're bringing in all their customers were a customer of theirs. And I heard you talking about this concept of professional failure, uh, which happens to be the name of your book as well. Can you tell me a little bit, how do you define uh, professional failure and what does that term mean to you? Yeah, it's kind of a funny term. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying when I approached uh, about writing the book and I approached my mom and said, hey, 
right. I wrote this book. I think when I call it professional failure, she's like, well, you're not, you're not a failure. You can't do that. Why would you put that out there? I'm like, mom, <laughs> that's, that's the point. It's a, it's a talking point. But yeah, I think what my, my thought behind it was, um, you know, the failures, there's failures in everything. There's failures in everyday life and business and whatever walk of life you're in. Um, and it's almost this concept of flipping failures, uh, just on, on its head. So it's a different mindset and it's almost a way to, uh, professionally navigate through failures because, uh, like I said, failures happen to all of us. And, uh, I guess where I wanted to come from was, Hey, failures have happened to me. This is how I've worked through them. This is how I, um, did something or I failed at something and I didn't let it weigh me down. Um, I almost used it as a, a gift, which I kind of, you know, reference in the book, but I use it as a way to propel me forward and hopefully help others around me propel forward as well. So instead of seeing failures as a negative, um, I really want to reframe it and see failures as a positive, something that we can go towards that we can actually, um, in a way, invite and say, okay, we're going to learn from this failure in order to get to success, whatever we define success as. So we're not failing just to fail, just to be, you know, just to stop. Because really, uh, the only failure is if you just completely stop. If you keep moving forward and you collect data and, you know, this failure teaches you this lesson, you learn from it. I think failures can be uh, a huge asset to you. So that's kind of where uh, where the professional failure um, thought came from and, and what the book is centered around. I love this concept and the the concept of our podcast is really around, it's called the impact code and it's really about how do we make a a big impact in the world and and whether that's at the community level, whether that's at a a bigger level or even the global level, how do we make an impact? And I I love this idea of tying uh, professional failure or failure in general to, to making an impact because I think they do, they have to go hand in hand. Um, can you talk about it? Because I'd love for people to also get to know you a little bit as a person. Um, were there failures along the way? Tell us a little bit about your story and how did you arrive at the concept of this book? Yeah. Yeah. I think growing up, so um, I grew up on a dairy farm. So I feel like I learned how to how to work very hard, um, sometimes uh, overly hard growing up. Uh, <laughs> but then I also love sports. I played a lot of baseball growing up. And within baseball, uh, if you're a baseball fan, you're well aware that it's a game of failure. I mean, there's mm-hmm. errors. There's If you're an all-star, you're failing seven times out of 10. Um, so there's a lot of failure within that. So I think it can teach you a lot of life lessons. I think sports in general can teach you a lot of life lessons. So with that, um, there's the, those little navigational failures along the way, but then maybe a big, the big culmination of that was, uh, I had always planned to play professional baseball and I had had that as Mm. a goal from the time that I was two years old. I mean, honestly, from the time that my dad first introduced me to a, to a ball, and so working towards that, there's a lot of sacrifices you make. There's a lot of, of, you know, things you say no to in order to hopefully make that dream a reality. And uh, I got to the point where um, I actually spent a summer in Alaska and played in the Alaskan Baseball League. And I had several people tell me, if you can go play up there and you can have success, you can you can play in the major leagues. I mean, just like a stepping stone. So went up there, did that, uh, played for a team. Our team actually won the championship. Uh, I was a starting shortstop, wound up making the all-star team, did really well and competed against some, some high-level people. So yeah. it really seemed like that's where we were headed. 
Um, and I say we, because, um, I had been, uh, my senior year of college started dating, um, a girl who is now my wife and we had yeah. planned and we had talked about it and said, Hey, you know, this, it may look like this early on, we're going to be traveling in the minor leagues. I'd had some friends that got drafted. So I was kind of familiar with the process. Um, and then when it came to it, uh, had a trial with the Cubs, they, uh, they said, yeah, we like you. Um, we're going to draft you. Here's your draft number. So really every sign was pointing towards that. And like, this is my path. And then when draft day came, um, I remember I was sitting, uh, at home. Actually, I lived with four other guys in, in a big house and they were all gone doing something else. But I remember the draft kind of winding down and it was like round 33 or something like that. And, uh, the Cubs wound up taking this, you know, high school kid. Uh, and, and at that point I realized it wasn't going to happen for some reason. I just wasn't going to get drafted. So, uh, I remember shutting my laptop and and sitting back and just kind of crying because it was the first time that I really had this oh, big man. goal, big dream of like, uh, um, whatever it was, it was just crushing. Uh, it hurt really mm. bad. So, uh, that was the first big failure that I really feel like I had to navigate. And so I had a choice. I could either sit there and think, you know, well, my identity is, is based in me being a baseball player. And now that that's over, what am I, what do I do? Um, so uh, luckily I had something to do that night. So I actually, I, I got up, I got dressed and I went to, uh, a wedding actually, uh, my brother-in-law now brother-in-law was getting married. So we went to a rehearsal. Um, so it was kind of one of those things where I just kind of ha- had to pick myself up, go move on. And, uh, it hurt for a while. It was, I mean, honestly, for a couple of years, I was, I was pretty bitter. Um, just didn't understand it. Didn't understand why, you know, it was almost like, uh, I, I don't know where you are spiritually, but it's almost like God was tinkering with me. It was like, you know, flirting with us like, oh yeah, the, the, here's your dreams. Just kidding. We're going to pull that away. We're going to rip yeah. the rug out. So, yeah. um, so it took me a while to kind of work through that. And then, um, beyond that, just trying to get into the, the job world. I mean, it was 2008 was when I graduated. So when you think back to the financial crisis that that was, I was getting turned down every job, uh, there you can imagine like applying for jobs, and uh, wound up graduating, had a degree, uh, had a degree in graphic design, couldn't get a job. So I wound up working for a friend at a gas station. Um, so, you know, for some people, it's like, well, I have a degree. I'm not doing that. I think my background helped. And I was like, no, I'm going to work. And then until something opens up and uh, wound up getting a job, um, I don't know, a couple months later, uh, actually through a free internship. And then wound up getting fired from that job a couple months later and then wound up working on my own and then got another job, got fired again. So it's like this navigation of like uh, these things in life where something happens and then there's a setback and it's like, okay, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? I think those are the things that led to it. And that second firing, I remember uh, it happened on a Monday morning. And I kind of just called my wife, Kendra, and I was like, hey, guess what? Just got fired again. And, uh, and she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, we're going to start our own thing. I'm not, I'm not going to work for anyone else anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment where we kind of bet on ourselves and it helped a lot. But even in the business world, there's just constant like failures. You just have to mm-hmm. deal with it. So if I can kind of give the foundation or the bedrock of where I came from and maybe my thought process before I wrote the book, that's where I was coming from of these failures and then things would happen. And luckily I had some amazing people around me that were able to encourage and say, you know what, you know, your identity isn't in this, like you'll be fine. You can work through this, just continually bet on yourself. 
uh, and move forward. So I know that's really, really helped, but that, yeah, hopefully that gives you a background of kind of where, where the book and the podcast came from. Absolutely. It, it really does, man. That's a, that's a powerful story because you're someone that I would look at today from the outside and, I think we tend to project uh, people who are successful that it was an easy journey, right? Like that it's almost glorified, I think, in our culture uh, for the people who have the easy successes to be like the most glorified, like that, like that it should come easy. And if it doesn't come easy, you're doing something wrong or you're not doing the right thing. I mean, how do you feel about that? Like when you hear those words, um, you know, if you're, if it's not easy for you, you're, you shouldn't be doing it. Like, does that, does that cause, uh, I guess, a, a, a response from you mm-hmm. in, in a way? Because I feel like it's such a, a different story than what you're portraying, and you're still very successful. Yeah, well, no, I appreciate that. And then, yeah, it does. It draws a response, and that's part of the reason why I wound up kind of gravitating towards the topic of failures, because it's this funny, um, like, ironic thing of, from what I've seen, like, very successful people they learn from failures, but they don't mm-hmm. dwell on the negative. So it's like something happens, they forget about it, and then they get to this place of success and they think, oh, I never did anything wrong. And they don't like to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the failures they've had. But, you know, in a way that makes them successful because they're not beating themselves down and they're not saying, you know, why well, I messed up here, I did this. Well, um, it's just this this funny, tricky thing of remembering back, okay, I failed here, I did this, but here's the lesson I, I took from it, and this is why I'm successful. So I think that's the response when I hear people, um, and I kind of talk about it in the book too, uh, when I hear people say, I'm self-made, or you know, I, I did this, I'm a self-made millionaire, self-made billionaire. I just kind of think it's a bunch of hogwash because uh, even if you read on your own or you watched videos or you didn't have an in-person mentor, there's someone that taught you something like you didn't invent the car you drive. You didn't invent the phone that you look all this information up, up. you didn't look up the or invent the computer. There's so many things that go into um, the intelligence we possess today that I think sometimes people often overlook. Um, so I don't know if that's, that's a long winded answer, but yeah, it does, it does invoke a response when people say, you know, I'm successful because I've made all the the right moves. And I would just respond by saying, you know, you can, there are some right moves to be made, but there's also some failures that, that have happened that you've learned from that. I think if maybe those didn't happen, you would not be where you are today. Yeah. I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. Do you, do you think the world or at least the states would be a little different if people talked about failure more. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like I give a very long answer about that, but yeah, I feel like we have this, uh, this like fake persona of perfection. And then it's like, we chase this, you know, perfect athlete or perfect musician or perfect politician. And the truth is that we're all imperfect. So the more we chase perfection, the more we're always going to fall short. Like it's just, that's just the way it is. Like we, no one can be perfect. So I think when we, the media or anyone builds up, you know, someone to be this like a uh, perfect person and they mess up, uh, it can shatter things. So mm-hmm. I do think that, yeah, if we talk more about failures and openly said, you know what, um, I made this mistake. I said this wrong. I shouldn't have. Here's what I learned from it don't make the same mistake, I do think the world would be a better place. I just think so often we try, we fail, and then we try and cover up to make mm-hmm. us, to, to keep our superficial persona intact. And instead of admitting wrong, we're just like, nope, that that 
couldn't have happened to me. That's, I don't, I don't make those decisions. So yeah, I do think it would be a lot better, better place for yeah. sure. I feel that with myself. Like I, when I make a mistake, there's this part of me that's like, Oh, like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. Like now, like, how do I, how do I spin this? Right? Like that's, yeah. that's the thing that instantly goes through my mind is like, okay, how do I tell people about this in a way that puts me in the best light possible? Yeah. Instead of what can I learn from? And I think that prevents us from learning like that yeah. specific thought of like, how can I spin this instead of like, wh- what lessons can I take from this and how can I use those lessons to help myself and the other people around me be better. Yeah. Those are two different mindsets, but I think the instinctual one in all of us is like, it's that how, okay, I've got to spin this some way to show like, to prove that I'm not an idiot, to prove that I'm not someone that's incompetent in my role. And I think it, you're right. It creates this, this facade of, in this expectation in ourselves, like we, we point it back to ourselves. We project it onto others of perfection when perfection is never a reality. And the concept of perfectionism actually can be really preventative to learning as a whole. And I think that's where your concept is just such an interesting idea. If we can, if we can educate people on this concept and we can help people become more comfortable in sharing those things. And yeah. how, how do we do that? How do we create an environment that's more, so I have a team here. How do I create an environment that's more conducive to sharing failures and to not trying to cover up mistakes and to learning from those things? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on one thing you said too, and then I'll answer that. But I think Absolutely. Um, something you kind of, you said about, you know, wanting to put yourself in the best light possible. I think what people often overlook is that, not only does it damage yourself, like if you're trying to cover up and you're trying not to admit a mistake, but it can not just damage you, but it can multiply and be compounded by people around you. So like if a mm. hundred people um, see that you're trying to be this perfect person or you're only in a position because you're perfect, well, then they're going to think, okay, it's almost gives them like a limited mindset of like, well, okay, well, I could never be in that position because I do dumb things all the time. I'm, I, I don't right. know that. So, um, with that, I think one of the best things you can do, honestly, sometimes is just say, I don't know, or admit fault. Um, and it's really hard to do sometimes, but I think it puts us in a place of humility. And I think it puts us in a place of, if, if you're a leader, you can say, you know what, um, I'm in this place because I want, you know, other people to be better, or I want to lead people to, you know, a better place. Um, if you can come from a place of humility and say, um, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, I'll try and find out. Um, I think it does encourage people and it, it's, maybe it's tricky to think through, but I do think that when people hear some, that someone isn't perfect, it's encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. and instead of like beating people down and stepping on people, your way to the top, you know, and, and, and doing that, I think you can actually lift people up and say, you know, instead of, well, I have to be at the top. Okay. Well, how many people can I help lift out of whatever, either it's a mindset or money situation or something. Um, if you can think about kind of flipping it and saying, okay, how can I, how can I elevate others instead of myself? I think it's almost like this concept of when you refresh others, and this is from the Bible, but when you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. If you can lift mm-hmm. others up, it's, you're going to lift yourself. It's, it's like the the uh, rising tide, you know, lifts all ships. It's the same thing. Right. It's You're not going to be left behind. And I think so many people are scared of that. 
that if they don't know all the answers or they're not fully needed every single day um, and there's someone else in the room that's smarter than they are, maybe, you know, that means they're going to get fired someday. I would very much argue with that. And it actually makes me think of something my dad used to say growing up that he, he was a vice president at a company and he used to say, anytime I hire someone, I want them to be smarter than I am. Like I want to hire people that are smarter and more intelligent than I am because Mm -hmm. it makes me look better. And I think that's often overlooked. Um, but it's something I definitely took away from him. Mm, I love that. That makes me think of, uh, I've read and I can't, I cannot remember where I read this, but I read this last week was, um, we always think of, or we tend to think of the opposite of a scarcity mindset as an abundance mindset. And I think the the author of this book was saying that the opposite of a scarcity mindset is actually enough. Hmm. And so I think how that relates to, to what I'm hearing you say is that we're scared, right? I think at the root of this is this fear that if I'm, if I'm not enough or if I'm not, um, let's say I'm not smart enough or I'm not I can't work enough hours. I, I can't solve the problem. I've, I've made too many mistakes. There's this insufficiency within us. And I think a lot of people maybe overcorrect that idea and they flip to abundance. But I think really, if we can start to look at ourselves as enough um, and find that um, maybe that wholeness, um, that there's really a lot of power in that um, yeah. because we when we run into those situations, we're not working from a place of insufficiency. We're not working from a place of like fear in that case. Yeah. No, that's really well said, Brett. Really good. So would you say who, who are your role models in this? How how did you learn? You mentioned your dad uh, just a minute ago. Like was, was there someone in your life who was just really instrumental in helping develop this concept in you? Yeah, I think it's it's not just one person. Um, even though I had two amazing parents, I think both my mom and my dad, uh, my mom stayed at home with us, but they were both like very gentle when they needed to be gentle and very hard on me when I needed to be, you know, uh, someone needed to be tough on me. So I think they played obviously a huge role in that. But my grandpa was another one. Both my grandpas were dairy farmers. So I learned early on um, the value of hard work and um, I saw them work and work and work. And they were also two both very high character guys. Um, The grandpa I grew up with or closer to was like literally right across the street. I could run across the road and um, through the Mm -hmm. field, you know, his, his house was there. So I worked with him a lot. And I think he was, he was someone who was very humble, but probably one of the wisest men I knew. And you could walk out in a field with him and, you know, he would know every plant, every tree, every, and it didn't matter. He just knew everything that was there. He was so in touch with all of it and very wise, but he didn't have a college degree. He didn't go to Harvard. He didn't do all these things. But, uh, I think it helped me see that wisdom came from a different place. I didn't have to go to Harvard. I didn't have to go to, to Yale or some massive college to um, have other people tell me that I have wisdom or that I'm smart or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I know there are a lot of very intelligent, wise people that go to these places, but I think sometimes we can pigeonhole ourselves into thinking, well, if I didn't do this or I didn't do this, I could never add up to this. Um, So I think he helped a lot. And he also never, 
like never spoke badly about anyone. And that's really tricky to do. I don't know if you've um, ever tried to go a week or something without, you know, saying a bad word about someone, (laughs) try to go a day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really tricky and uh, it's something I really work on and I'm still not perfect at it, but I really don't ever remember him, him saying a bad word about anyone. And if something came up, he would just either walk away or he'd shut the conversation down or he would say a good thing about them and then be done with it. Uh, it's, that's really hard. And I, that's something I really wanted to take away from him is, is that, uh, I forget what it is, but you know, when you, I don't know where this came from, but it's like when, if you, even if you say something in secret, the birds hear what you say, like somehow it's going to get out. Uh, I just, I don't, I I don't remember ever doing that. And I think that was a really big takeaway was, uh, his humility, his wisdom, and then just not ever saying a bad word about people. People just like being around him. Um, so yeah, I'd say my grandpa had a huge, uh, huge impact on my life. And then I've had coaches, teachers, that's the thing. I've had so many people and that's what I've been so grateful with is that I've had so many people through my 36 years of life that have taken time. And now I realize that I'm older and I have, you know, things to do and I have a schedule. Um, it takes time to sit and talk with someone and teach someone, especially if you're a young punk and you're not fully listening. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to do that. So I look back uh, with just kind of a heart full of gratefulness of like all the people that grew up that sat down and took time to say, hey, try this or do this or hey, I've been seeing you do this. This might be the wrong path for you. Let's not go down that. Let's redirect this. Uh, so many people, coaches, teachers, aunts and uncles, uh, family members, so many people that helped me throughout life that Uh, I really, it would take forever to name them all, but yeah, it's not just, definitely not just one person. Mm. It's a great way to frame it though. I think the, the thing about not talking about other people in a negative way is it's a really easy concept to understand and a really, really difficult concept to master. Why is it so difficult? Do you, you have any thoughts on like, because I've tried that and I mentioned yeah. like, well, you were saying that, yeah, I've like, I've tried to go a day and it's, it is so tough. What, yeah. what makes that tough for us um, as people to really, to speak about people only in the positive and, and to just forego the negative talks about others? Yeah. I don't know um, that I have the right answer, but one thought is that I think it does, it almost helps you feel better. Like if, if you know someone messed up and you can like dog on them or say, Oh, I would never do that. It's almost a lifting of your own self. And it's like, Mm. it's an easy way to, if you're having a down day, be like, well, he's just an idiot. That's why he did that. I would never do that. And it almost like sheds, you know, this light on yourself, like you're better than what you really are. That's my thought on it. That's why I think sometimes we talk negatively because it does, it like superficially lifts us up. Um, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's initially what comes to mind. And, and it's almost like a, it's almost like a drug. It's like this, this, um, this high it eventually wears off and you eventually need mm-hmm. more and more of it. Um, but it's this like temporary high of like, yeah, I'm better than that. I'm better than him or her. I would never do that. Uh, I think that's why it's so tricky. And I think superficial is a really good word because it isn't, it isn't permanent. It isn't real. And it, it doesn't last like the effects of it are real. The effects on, on others are real, but we do that to people we love. Yeah. You know, we do, true. Like even people that we really deeply care about sometimes 
Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a, I think it's a really interesting lesson. And do you, did you have any, uh, so this sounds like something that you're constantly practicing and working on. Has anything helped you along that path and just being better at it over time? Yeah, it actually, uh, so I had a, a girl, a woman, um, her name's Carrie Siggins. Uh, she was recently on my podcast, super, uh, super wise woman, but she told me this trick that she did that actually kind of clicked with me and I've been trying to to do it more over the last couple of months. Uh, but she said what she does is that she, um, if she comes across a situation where she's upset with someone, uh, or, or she has this inclination to talk bad about someone, she tells herself like three or four different stories. She tells herself, you know, a story like, uh, you know, that puts them in the positive light and almost gives like these different perspectives instead of uh, immediately lashing out, like what the heck are they thinking? Or that was dumb. Like, trying to build them up in a, in a way through a a story. And and again, it's just stories she's telling herself, but I think that's helped me. Uh, recently there's been some times where something comes up and I'm like, initially I want to be like, well, that was really dumb or why in the heck would he do that? And my initial reaction is to belittle someone. But if I can take an extra 15 seconds and run through like three different scenarios in my head, it's really helped to empathize. And what I found is usually when I empathize with someone, I'm a lot less harsh on them. Um, so either outwardly or inwardly. So I'm really trying to work on empathy. Um, and sometimes that's really tricky. And sometimes I, it's just best for me to walk away and smile and just give it like five minutes. Because uh, sometimes I don't want to tell stories. So yeah. yeah, that's that's helped a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I really like that. Especially multiple perspectives so you're not just saying like hey how do i think a positive thought about this person it's like trying to look at many different angles of like uh, and are you talking about like motivation so when you're talking about that are you is this like why the person might have done this or is this more just about the person like can you tell me a little more about yeah so maybe like yeah like give an example like let's say i'm driving and and someone yeah cuts me off or they're in a hurry or they almost sideswipe me well instead of like initially saying what an idiot, like, you know, he's a reckless driver. Okay. Well, the first story could be like, okay, well maybe they're, maybe they're late to their, their kid, uh, picking their kid up at school and they're sitting there crying, you know, and they're like just mm-hmm. being a good parent or, you know, maybe like from a negative point of view, yeah, maybe they're, they're intoxicated. Maybe they shouldn't be doing this. That's, it's not saying you can't do a negative story. Uh, but then maybe another story is, yeah, maybe they, um, they're late to work. Maybe they, uh, yeah, their, their parent is dying in the hospital. Like I think just having different perspectives and telling these different stories, it really does allow you to think through like, yeah, maybe they just weren't being a jerk. Cause most of the time I found at least that people aren't trying to make people mad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something, uh, maybe is out of the ordinary and maybe it's out of, uh, your control, but most of the time it's just, it, people aren't trying to, to make people mad. It's just, it's, it's a scenario that rubs someone the wrong way and it, there was no harm meant to it. So that's maybe one small example of kind of how to, how to think through, through those perspectives. I think that's good. Thank you for, for clarifying that a little yeah. further. So let's go back and, and talk a little more about, um, the, the quote unquote failure, um, as, as you describe it with, with the Cubs and, and that, you know, cause that, that's the big one I think in, in me hearing your story that really stands out as like, man, that would be so painful to, to go through that experience. And because I, I would, 
from the outside assume that you've built a lot of identity around being a baseball player at this point, that that was really where you saw your future. Um, so not just your past identity, not just your present identity, but a lot of your future identity is also wrapped up in this idea. How do you keep yourself in those moments from taking on? So instead of saying, I am a failure because this thing happened, that this is a failure that, that happened to me, or that this is a failure that, you know, I'm a part of like, yeah. I think there's a difference in internalizing that I am a failure and that there, this is an event that happens to be a failure in the trajectory mm-hmm. of my life. So for people that may be going through something right now, uh, maybe they just got fired from a job. Maybe they, their dream of being a, you know, a singer or a professional athlete has been crushed for, for some reason. How do they keep that from becoming their identity? Going yeah. Forward? Yeah. That's a good question, Brett. I think one thing that helped me was, uh, was really thinking, you know, like I failed in this moment, but I'm not a failure. Like, it, it, yeah, I failed at this and, and I fail at things all the time. It's like, um, you know, I, I like to, and you probably laugh at this. I like to take trash and when I'm tr- throwing it away in the trash can, uh, instead of just walking over and throwing it, I want to like shoot a basket. I want to like try and make it in. <laughs> it's like, I maybe I maybe shoot like 50%. I just don't care at that. Like it's kind of fun. So like in those moments, like I could, I could miss one and be like, I'm a failure. That's why I never make that. Or I could be like, yeah, I failed this time. I'll do it next time. Or, you know, when I do succeed, I'm not saying like, oh, I am like the magic person. I am always successful. I think it really is. It's more of um, more of just a moment in time instead of you yourself. So I think that really helped me. And I think what the biggest lesson I learned in that moment of, of failure was that like everything I'd built up, all these traits, all these characters, um, it transferred to the next phase of my life. So even though like I learned a lot of skills on the baseball field that only apply to baseball, I learned hard work, I learned friendship, I learned teamwork. I learned so many things that transfer to different phases of life. So if someone's sitting there and they've failed at something and they went after something and they gave it all they they had, I would just say like, look, realize that everything that you've done, the sacrifices you've made, the habits you put yourself into, you've done it for that thing. Well, that transfers to something else too. And you like, you are a smart person. You can pick something up quickly. You can take all those same habits and you can redirect that energy into something else and be successful in something else too. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I would just definitely keep that in mind that it's not the end of the road. It's not like mm-hmm. you've sacrificed 10, 20 years to something and then all of a sudden, boom, you got to start over. You've grown in those moments. Um, everything you've learned compounds and it will transfer into the next phase of your life. So just see it as a moment of failure. You are not the failure. It's just a moment moments pass and the next moment's coming. Mm. I love that. I love that. So let's, let's actually shift a little bit because one of the things that I thought was really cool when I, when I met you at Invo was that your wife was there Yeah, and she seems to be a big part of, of everything that you do. So you mentioned earlier, um, the second time you were fired from your job, you called her and she's like, what are you going to do? Like, let's do our own thing. Um, I imagine, uh, and I want to dive more into your relationship here in a minute, but let's start just with this process of you're fired from the job. You decide you're going to do your own thing. You want to do it together. 
Um, what does that look like in terms of what was the next step in that? Did you know that you wanted to go into short-term rentals already? Was this a process of uh, kind of an iterative process where one thing led to another and you got there? How did you end up where you are now from that second job? Yeah, looking back, it's kind of funny because she was actually home uh, the month before I got fired. Uh, she left her job because we had been doing like stock photography on the side. Mm-hmm. And we basically had this agreement once we uh, made enough money in one month to cover her, what she was making at a coffee shop, uh, she would quit and do stock full time. And that mm-hmm. came. So we went from two incomes to zero incomes in 30 days, basically. Uh, so I think what it was like, I always felt supported by her. I was supported her. So that was a huge thing, but transitioning into that, we didn't have anything to do with real estate. Um, at that point we owned a house, but that was really all the real estate we knew. Um, so with that, we were kind of just starting out like, Hey, let's figure out this business thing. Um, and go from there. And we actually wound up getting in, we found a space, we cleaned it up, repainted, and we got really cheap rent for a couple of years, which just was phenomenal for us. Mm. Um, so that really helped us build that foundation. But it was, again, one, it was just a compounding effect. Like one thing led to another. So we had success in, in the business and we learned how to, you know, handle clients and deal with relationships and invoicing and kind of the basics of, of business, and we failed a lot still in the the early days. And then about two years in, the landlord that owned the building came to us and said, Hey, do you wanna um do you wanna buy the building? And at that point, again, it's just a decision. It's like, do we do we wanna go into real estate? Well, we really don't have a retirement, we don't have anything coming in. If we're not working, what do we do? Uh so we kind of just took a leap of faith and we both uh both felt good about it. And that's another lesson I think we learned. And looking back, we both have this piece about us, uh, about the real estate, buying the real estate. And that's led to short-term rentals and more real estate um, and things like that. But we've almost tried um, all the big moments in our life. uh, We've almost tried to lean more in the way that we were feeling peace. Instead of like this, if we ever feel angst or um, if Kendra feels uneasy about something now, um, which I could go into other other times where she felt uneasy and I was like, yeah, it's fine. It'll be fine. Usually most <laughs> of the time those times didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, but when we were like really kind of following the piece and like, even if it didn't make sense, even if numbers didn't make sense or someone else thought it was, you know, a dumb move, if we both had a piece about it and we followed it, I would say, honestly, I don't know. There's been a time where we followed that piece and we've been wrong or something hasn't worked out. Um, so looking back, we've really tried to do that, but, but honestly, working with your spouse is difficult. Mm-hmm. It can be really tricky. And, uh, we had been married for, I'm not sure, like four or five years when we started the business. So it was almost like getting married all over again. Cause when yeah. you go from being married, um, to working together, you have to learn how you, how each other work and you have to be okay with that. Um, it is totally different. And I know my parents should say, oh, we could never work together. I think they could. It just takes work. Um, so that's been really fun to over the last 10 years and yeah, 11, almost, yeah, over a decade now working together and seeing how each one of our strengths um, lifts up the other's weakness because um, there are things I'm not good at and she's Kinder is very good at and vice versa. Um, so I think that's been, it's just been a really fun partnership, honestly, in business. Um, and then we get to, you know, carry that over into marriage. So it's been, it's been really fun. She's been awesome. I could not have lucked out more uh, in who I married, to be completely honest. 
Um, so I feel, feel very lucky in that, that department. Yeah. I, I've heard people say even like, don't, don't do a business with your, with your spouse or with your life partner. Do what do you think about that? I mean, cause there are people that are like, just don't do it. It's not worth it. Don't mm-hmm. after being, you've been doing it and you all are from, you know, from the outside, y'all are doing great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, we have struggles just like anyone and we have moments of uh, sadness and hard times in marriage. It's like our marriage isn't perfect. Um, but I think I just kind of compare it to, you know, if, if someone talks about like buying real estate or starting a business and people say, don't do it, I've been burned before. You just, you can't do it. Well, first of all, it takes work. So it's not easy. You can't just wake up and you can't just kind of glide through and coast through and everything's going to be okay. It takes work. There's going to be hard days and there's going to be days where you sit back and think, this is really dumb. Why are we working together? Um, but do I think it's worth it? Yes. I think it's taken our relationship to a completely different level um, than if we were just married and we were working separate jobs and we came home. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And I know plenty of good marriages that do that. But I think for us, it just fit. So when someone says that, honestly, most of the time I just smile and I'm like, I love my wife. Like, you know, it's I, I, there's not really they've kind of made up their mind. Um, mm-hmm. but for someone out there thinking like, can I go into business with my spouse or a significant other? It's just, it's like marriage it's, it's a commitment. You just have to commit mm-hmm. to, uh, the hard days and you have to commit to the good days and know that there's going to be both and it's okay. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it or should do it. It's just, it's like life. You just got to work through it together and you have a commitment together. Mm, I love that. Were, were there any resources along the way that were particularly helpful? in that journey, if there's someone who's thinking about going into business with a spouse or maybe best friend, someone they're really close with, yeah. um, doing a similar venture, you know, what, what advice would you have for that person? Early on, honestly, we met with a, a lot of other couples already in business together. So that was the, our best resource. So I would, I would highly advise someone to go out and reach out to another couple who's already been in business. And you're going to find couples that are like, don't do it, uh, but get a, get an array of ages and uh, different businesses if you can. But the more, the better. Uh, if you can sit down with someone one-on-one and say, hey, can we buy you lunch? Can we buy you coffee? Tell us what you did right, what you did wrong. We did that with probably four or five different couples. Uh, my aunt and uncle were someone, we actually both worked for them growing up. Uh, we worked for them a little bit when we first got married too. And they've been working together for, I don't know how many years. Uh, they're pretty opposite, but I think we learned a lot from them in how a, a good partnership works. Because uh, like my aunt is is one way and without my uncle, I don't think she succeeds. And same thing without my, my uncle is uh, really, really good at a couple things. And without her, I don't think he succeeds. So I think early on, we really learned that from them too. It's like a good partnership uh, they both give and it's not like you have two people that are exactly the same. You've got to have differences. You've got to have strengths and, and the weaknesses will, will work themselves out if you have a good partnership. Do you struggle with uh, setting boundaries around like when is work time, when is not work time? Or is this something that you've been able to sort of integrate into a 24 hour cycle pretty well? How do you all set like structure work time versus play time versus rest time. Um, And you talked a little bit about this at Invo, but how do you sort of structure that um, in a way that's meaningful to you? Yeah, I think it's tricky because um, I kind of come from, like I said, the farming background. So I watched, Mm -hmm. you know, my grandpa work a hundred hours a week. So I'm like, 
well, I mean, if I'm going to succeed, I got to work hard. So, uh, and it's not like my wife doesn't work hard. I think she just values more downtime and like communication time and one-on-one time. So that's something we've had to work through early on. I'm just like, Hey, let's go in from eight to eight and we're just going to grind out five, six days a week and we're going to make it work. Uh, I think she's opened my eyes to the benefits of like, of cutting off and saying, you know, we're going to work and we're going to focus, but then, uh, whatever time we set, whether that's four o'clock, four thirty, five that day, we're going to take off and we're going to leave work at work and we're going to enjoy, um, just, you know, the time we have with each other, with family or whatever it is. So definitely something we've learned, but one of the biggest things I've learned, um, and I'm actually reading this in a book, it's really reiterating. It's called uh, How Champions Think by uh, Bob Rotella. Really good book. Um, it's on golf, but it's just, there's so many principles to life too. Um, but he talks about like, really, you can go out and you can take a golf swing and you can grind and you can hit a thousand balls a day and you can work t- 12 hours a day. But eventually your body's going to wear out and you're, it's, it's going to be counterintuitive to like overwork. So he said, sometimes the best medicine is just work three to four hours a day and then go back and enjoy your family and don't think about golf and almost let your subconscious work through things as well. So I think that's something I've learned over the years too, that I can focus for four or five hours at a time. And if I don't work a full eight hour day or a 10 hour day or whatever it is, um, it doesn't mean I haven't produced but I know there's been days where I've worked two hours and I take the rest of the day off and I feel more focused and refreshed that day than when I work 10 hours um, and vice versa. There's days where I work 10 hours and I feel great and other days where I feel like I haven't done anything and it's been three hours. So I, I think it's like, again, like business, there's, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days, but you just keep moving forward. Um, and really try and keep that, keep that balance of, of work. And again, Kenner's helped me with that so much. Uh, I can't reiterate that enough that she's opened my eyes to, to really take time to just enjoy. Cause it's like, if we're working all day long and, um, you know, we're grinding it out, that's, that's great. But if we don't have time to, to rest and relax, then what's it all for? Yeah. I think that's a really important point. So I'd love, if you're open to it, I'd love to talk a little bit about your relationship with Kendra and, um, a little bit more about how, how do you identify, uh, sort of the strengths, uh, and, and sort of what was that journey like in realizing, Hey, I, I maybe am not the best at this thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let her do that. And, and this could be professionally. This could also just be like a, a normal relationship functions of just like, Hey, this is just not something that I'm the best mm-hmm. at. Uh, but I think it is easy. At, at least I found, um, with Courtney that, it can be easy to want to change her into what I see as the ideal person, right? But the I think the real love is learning to love someone as they are and letting them become sort of that next iteration of what they see for themselves. Like, yeah. How, how do you see that um, coming to fruition in your own relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good question. That's been something too, that I feel like I battled with a lot early on is that, you know, I wanted uh, to take some of maybe my positive straight traits and be like, Hey, why can't you just pick these? Why can't you do more of this? You know, I'm a more organized person than Kendra is. Mm -hmm. And I know there's been times like, why can't you just be more organized? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Um, but I don't think it's healthy. And I think what I've learned is that if I can really focus on the things she does well and encourage her in those things, 
Um, not only does it help her, but it's almost like I can pick up some of these things through osmosis as well and vice versa. Um, if you focus on the strengths and really encourage in the strengths, instead of saying, um, you know, here are your weaknesses. Why can't you, why can't you do this right? I just, I've found that it doesn't work for us. May work for some people, but it just doesn't. Um, one example of we were driving, it was probably six months ago and we were driving down the road. Probably laugh at this, but we drove past this sign and there's been this place under construction for like six months. And uh, we drove by and, and Kinder looked up and said, oh, I didn't realize that there's a, there's a building there. I didn't realize that's going in. I'm like, that's been going, that's been going on for six months. Have you not noticed that? Mm -hmm. And I swear to you, like later in the week, um, something happened and someone was, we were interacting with someone. And after the conversation, Kinder said, Hey, did you, did you feel like, did you see like the pain when they were telling that, you know, in that story? And I'm like, no, I didn't see it. And she's like, how did you not see that? So I think what it taught me was like, there are things that I'm very in tune with and like detailed and maybe I'm driving, I see construction, she doesn't see it. Same thing. Her strength is seeing that in people, like having this like empathy intuition with people. And um, if I can lean into that and like really try and build her strength, um, she'll share that with me. And there are times where she sees things that I don't. And I'm like, tell me about that. Like, what did you see? Uh, and she can help me with that vice versa. Um, there are things that I can help her with. And I think if I came into it thinking, you know, well, you didn't see this, you're just, you're dumb. You're not even paying attention. That's, it's very negative. It's not helpful. Um, and it's not true. It's just, there are different things we pay attention to. And, and I think that's one big lesson for me is Kinder's very good with empathy, something I struggle with. Um, something I'm working on, but, uh, really trying to work on her strength, um, allowing me to see her strength and nurture her strength instead of, you know, beating her down on the things she doesn't see. So I don't know if that's, that makes sense or if that's too long winded of an answer, but that's, it's kind of, I think it's spot on. Yeah. An example. Spot on it. Thank you. I, how do the two of you navigate conflict? Because I imagine just even business aside, every relationship there's, there's conflict. And do you all, do you all have any um, tips or things that work well uh, for the two of you in really sort of navigating um, when there are disagreements? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something too, that we've really had to work on. We've gotten a lot of advice from, um, we've gone to counseling that's helped a lot, but recently one thing that's helped is actually writing out, um, things like writing letters or writing notes. Uh, I know in the heat of the moment, we've had a lot of like disagreements turn into arguments, uh, just because emotions get in the way and emotions get high. And then, you know, you have a point and you just keep beating the point over and over and over again. And like, in spite of these emotions. So for us, whenever we, um, write things down, we found that it takes the emotion out of it. Uh, so that's been really, really helpful. Like I can, Kendra can write me a three page letter of how she feels about a subject. I can take the time to read it. I can highlight things and I can respond in a positive way, um, and really hear what she says instead of trying to interrupt her. And, you know, she gets two sentences in. I'm like, well, I know what you're going to say. Like, I know this, I know that. It just doesn't help things. So that's been a really helpful trick that I think someone taught us uh, is just write write it down. If it's a really touchy subject um, and, you know, there's going to be some feelings hurt, then writing it down may be a good option. And honestly, sometimes you don't even have to give it to them. There have been times where Kinder's written a letter 
and she just needs to get something out and then she throws it away or she burns it. And I've done the same thing where I just need to say something and you write it and then you burn it. And then if, if you need to talk about it later, you can, but, uh, at least, uh, we found writing has been very therapeutic, uh, like therapy in that way for, for us when, when, when it comes to conflict. It's, it's almost a lost art, but there is something really powerful about that. Like the thought tends to be trapped like in your brain and then there's something about writing it. Like yeah. for me, sometimes the phone can do it. Sometimes it can't like if I'm typing into a notepad, but like pen to paper, there's something about it that just releases that thought. And it's like the emotion is able to like <laughs> release. Yeah, it's, for sure. It's a really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, what are you excited about in your relationship right now in your business right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think in our relationship, um, I think we're just, we're kind of enjoying, we've, we've had this like decade long battle with infertility and, uh, it's been really draining to be completely honest. Um, but I think we're excited about, we're, we're both to a point where we don't feel this pressure or, um, maybe this miscommunication with each other. So I feel like we're at a point where we can, um, fully hear one another and kind of just enjoy one another right now. So, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about just experiencing life and, and doing little things like that instead of having the pressures of, you know, what our life could have been or should have been or would have been. Um, sometimes that can weigh heavy. So I, I love the season, not saying that it's like we have every day is just the perfect day. Uh, but that's something that's been really fun is just being on the same page. Um, and enjoying, you know, activities. We play a lot of pickleball, which is really fun. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. you're in a pickleball. Um, not, I've heard such good things though. I know so many people that are like, you have to try pickleball. Yeah. It's really fun. It's given us something that we can do to like weekly together. So we've been doing that. That's really fun. It's taught me a lot, uh, how to not get frustrated at Kendra in sports. That's like a whole nother learning experience. <laughs> like it's another like layer. married business and then playing sports together with your spouse. So like learning like the trifecta, <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's been good. And then business wise, uh, I think it's been fun. I I've actually, I've had more time, like real estate has slowed down a little bit, which has been nice. Um, so it's given me more time to read and write. Uh, mm. and then we're going to do a little bit of traveling, but I've really enjoyed the kind of the rhythm that I've had, um, in the mornings reading and writing. So I'm really excited about where that's going to lead. Hmm. Plans for another book or are you just sort of, this is just a habit that you're in? What's that look like for you? Yeah, no, it's definitely a habit. It's very therapeutic habit. Um, but uh, I would say there there are plans for more books. I've got like probably nine or 10 ideas for books. That's the hard part mm. is to figure out what I'm going to start with next. So, uh, but that's the fun part too, is that uh, I plan on writing more and um, I plan on writing hopefully, you know, 20, 30 books before it's all said and done. And hopefully they're, they're impactful, but yeah, the plan is to write more and uh, hopefully, you know, with each book I write, it can have one reader that's like, man, that hit home. You wrote that book for me. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, the, the uh, so I, I actually did not realize that y'all had dealt with infertility and I know three couples who have gone through that um, mm -hmm. for years and have seen how difficult that has been for them. And I, I have not gone through that and. Um, so I have a, a lot of, um, sympathy, but it, it's re really hard to understand from the outside. I think, yeah. um, what that can be like, do you, because you are someone who's, uh, been in the trenches there, um, do you have words of advice if someone, uh, listening is going through that? Like how, what would you tell them? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd say you're not alone. Um, there's a lot of people out there that, that are struggling with the same infertility things. Um, one thing that has really helped us and it may, you know, fall on deaf ears or it may seem, you know, dumb, but if you can, the more you can get outside yourself, uh, and really like almost use the experience to maybe, um, help someone else through a tough time. I think the more it alleviates the weight of your situation. So, uh, again, for us, therapeutic wise, it, like writing about it has really helped us. Communicating has helped us. Um, you know, we're not where we thought we would be. Uh, you know, if you were to ask me, uh, graduate in my junior year of college, I'd be like, you know, I'd have, we'd have four or five kids by now. I'd be playing professional baseball. Or I'm retiring. So our life looks a lot different than what, you know, what we thought it would. Um, but at the same time, there's so many like beautiful things that have come from, um, not being in the place we thought we, we were going to be. So if someone's listening and they're just, you know, depressed and they're thinking, man, my life just is not anything like what I thought it would be. I would just really try and, um, look at all the little things that you have to be thankful for that you can really easily overlook. Um, and just know that, you know, you're on a path where, uh, something good is coming. Like you, you don't know what it is, but there is something good coming. Um, it's just tough to see right now. So, but if you can focus on that, that, um, that there's good in your future, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful advice, man. So we've talked about a, a very broad range, <laughs> a very wide today. range, <laughs> very wide. Yeah. Very wide band today. What's next for you, Justin? What's on, what's on the horizon? You talked about riding a lot right now. Um, you know, what do you have coming up next? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think one of the, the freeing things and we kind of talked about it, but the simple answer is, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I have no idea. And it's kind of, it's kind of exciting to be completely honest. Um, I don't know whether it looks like, you know, a couple more books or whether it looks like, you know, we travel more. I just don't know. And I think the fun part is for me at least to take advantage of each day and really look at each day as, as a gift and be like, you know what, I'm going to prepare for something that I don't know what's coming, but I'm going to be prepared for it. So, uh, I don't know whether that's kids or that's, you know, uh, traveling or that's, uh, uh, speaking to her, whatever it is, I just want to be prepared in multiple ways for that. And then whatever comes, comes. Um, mm. so maybe a cop out answer, but I don't know what's next, but I'm excited. I can, I can be yeah. in that state of, I don't know, but it doesn't scare me. It more excites me. I think that that brings up like, a, like the question that I think about a lot is we, we put a lot of focus into our future and into thinking about all the things that our future could be. But I think there's so much more happiness in the present. Yeah. Right. And just like right where we are now in the people that are right in front of us right now um, and enjoying those connections and enjoying this podcast like that, that yeah. to me, there's so much more happiness and fulfillment in that than like trying to project out and understand. And mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot in that answer um, that I think is really really beautiful. I think that's a, maybe a, uh, I don't want to say a hack. I think that's maybe a formula, maybe a formula. Yeah. I hate the word hack, Yeah, <laughs> but I think maybe that's a formula for, um, being, being more present and being more yeah. happy, finding more enjoyment and yeah. uh, 
No, I couldn't agree more. I think there is immense power in just simply being present. Mm. Any tips on on being present before we sort of wrap up here? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, take your smartwatch and throw it away. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's that. harsh. Maybe that's yeah. harsh. Yeah. Um, but I just I know so many good conversations that have been interrupted by from from me at least uh, with just a smartwatch. So I wear a watch. Mm-hmm. It's just a dumb watch. Um, Mm -hmm. so I would say, uh, if you have a smartwatch, just maybe turn off notifications. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not like I, I just loathe smartwatches. I just loathe what they do to a conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you can, yeah, yeah, like exactly. So phones, smartwatches, whatever it is, uh, the less, the less distractions, uh, and notifications you can have like binging into your head. I think it, the easier it is to be present for sure. I love that, man. Well, Justin, first of all, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a phenomenal conversation. I really enjoyed it. had a lot of fun. Yeah, Brad, thank, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and I love what you're doing. I'm excited to see what you do well uh, as well in, in the future, and I know you've got a lot, of, a lot of good coming your way. Yeah, same to you, man. If people want to find you, they want to find your podcast, they want to get your book, um, can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, you can go to www.professional-failure.com and all my social links are there, links to the book, uh, links to the Audible book and all that. So uh, and if you ever want to reach me, feel free to send me an email. You can reach me at justin at professional-failure.com. All righty, brother. Well, thank you for the time today. All right. Thanks, Brett. Take care. Justin Skinner, everyone. There you have it. Justin, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was truly my honor. I think your story is absolutely incredible. And I love your vulnerability and the way that you so transparently share the story or the parts of your story that most other people would probably try to hide or try to make look better. I think it empowers others to see their stories and to identify with you and to hope for something better in their lives. So thank you for your vulnerability, for your transparency, and just for the willingness to be on the podcast. Again, the honor is all mine. I appreciate you, brother. You can track Justin down at his website, which is professional-failure.com, professional-failure.com. And you can also email Justin, as he shared earlier, at justin at professional-failure.com. So please check him out in both of those places. Buy his book. The book is called Professional Failure. You can see it on the website. You can see it on Amazon. Please go out and purchase a copy. I have it here on my desk, and it is a great book. You can also find Justin on Instagram at Justin C. Skinner. You can check out his podcast, which is called the Professional Failure Podcast. I'll link to all of that in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's podcast, don't forget to smash that five-star button, leave us a review, hit subscribe so that you're always notified when the new episodes come out. We've got a lot of good content coming up, and I would hate for you to miss it. Don't forget to check out TowerCommunityBank.com as a thank you for putting on this show. We'll catch you back here really soon for the next episode of The Impact Code. And until then, take care. And that, my friends, is a wrap. Bye. Thank you.